0: Well, this morning, we are back in the book of Samuel, and I've titled this message this morning, A Love-Hate Thing, and as we go along this morning, you'll kind of see why I've titled it as such, and uh, hopefully, um, excuse me, hopefully God will speak to us this morning, And, and I have to confess to you that the... This is one of those messages that, um, you know, sometimes, I'll be honest, when you're you're preparing a message, I I shouldn't say I'll be honest, because it sounds like sometimes I lie to you from the pulpit, and that's just not true. I should say, I'll be totally transparent and sincere, so, um, that as, as I'm preparing messages and as I'm reading through Scripture and allowing Scripture to speak, I... I uh, am able to just say, "Okay, yeah, this is what it says, and this is what we need to communicate." But something kind of interesting happened this week as I was preparing this message that I felt like God took this message from me and just went, Phew, "This is what you're going to say today." So I share that with you with with great trepidation, to be honest. So, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 18. Now, we need a quick review of what's uh, been going on in Samuel. So, here's the review. David defeated Goliath. Yeah, where'd to go David, right? Well, so, David defeated Goliath, and then this kind of got Saul's attention, obviously. And Saul uh, sent for David so that he could talk with him. So there's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along uh, this morning as we go. And my first point this morning is BFFs, best friends forever. You know, when I I typed in BFF on my computer and for images, it was all girls. Imagine that. There There weren't guys. But we're going to talk about a couple of guys this morning when we talk about BFFs. So here we are, starting in verse 1 of chapter 18, and it says this. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond of love between them, and they became the best of friends. From that day on, Saul kept David with him at the palace and wouldn't let him return home. And and Jonathan made a special vow to be David's friend and he sealed the pact by giving him his robe, tunic, sword, bow, and belt. So David meets Jonathan, and they become best friends. And even more than that, they make a covenant with each other to be best friends forever, as it were. I've heard some speculate, uh, unbelievably inaccurately, that, oh, well, maybe they were gay and they were lovers. No, friends, that's not true. They were the closest of friends. In the New American Standard version of verse 1, it says this. They they translate it this way. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. And that is such a cute, uh, an awesome, awesome phrase. His soul was knit to the soul of David. Uh, You know, it's really cool because that same phrase is used um, when Uh, Jacob is describing uh, his love for his youngest son, Benjamin, he says. He uses that very same phrase that my soul is knit to the soul of Benjamin. That is just an awesome description of a great relationship. I'm sure this influenced Saul's decision to make David a permanent member of his household. And the interesting thing is that you, we read that Jonathan uh, gave David uh, his tunic and his robe and his sword and his bow and his belt. And this is symbolic of, of Jonathan sharing or even surrendering everything that he is, even his right as heir to the throne. Hmm. wonder if that'll come up later. Well, let's look at verse 5. It says this, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. (coughs) Excuse me. So David made him a commander in his army, an appointment that was applauded by the fighting men and officers alike. Got a dry spot this morning, sorry. David continued to be successful in all that he was asked to do. So Saul makes him a commander. And everybody liked David. He was very popular. Now, understand this, that as we read this beginning of chapter 18, there's a little bit of non-chronological order here. These first six verses kind of give you a little background of what has happened over a period of time, okay? So when we read the next verse, you're going to go, oh, wait a minute, I don't get the order of things. Well, they didn't always write chronologically, like they, they give a summary and then give specifics. So that's kind of what's happening now when we get to verse 6 and this idea of bad feelings. Emotions are interesting, you know, I've, I've, I've often said that, and I share this a lot when I do premarital counseling, that when you talk about emotions, uh, it, it, it's difficult for guys, Um, You know, because women can be sad and they can be depressed or they can be angry or they can be fearful or they can be serene or they can be, you know, so many things. Guys have two emotions, good and bad. That pretty much covers it. So that's why I said, you know, bad feelings because that that covers half of my emotions. So starting in verse 6, it says this, but something happened when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed Goliath. Women came out from all the towns along the way to celebrate and to cheer for King Saul, and they sang a dance for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with 10,000s and me with only 1,000s? Next they'll be making him their king. Hmm, interesting. The Israelite army was greeted by celebration and adoring fans when they returned home after defeating the Philistines. There was literally dancing in the streets, as it were, right? And they were singing, Saul has killed his 1,000s, David has killed, or David his 10s, 10,000s. Saul doesn't like this song very much, though. But it should be noted that in good Hebrew tradition, Saul's name is mentioned first, which indicates that he's the one being honored the most by the song. But that whole thousands versus ten thousands thing is kind of sticking in his craw a little bit. Saul doesn't like this. And, and, And what happens is Saul starts to become a little paranoid. He's worried that David is going to replace him as king. Spoiler alert, Saul, go with that feeling. Let's look at verse 9 and what it says. It says, so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Saul's attitude has quickly changed towards David, hasn't it? Uh, He made him a commander and put him in charge of all these troops, but but now he was jealous of David. That's not so good. Uh, Look at these next verses now as to what it says. The very next day... In fact, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave like a madman. So David began to play the harp. Remember, David would come and play the harp for Saul to calm him down. And as he did, as he did whenever this happened, but Saul, who had a spear in his hand, suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David jumped aside and escaped. This happened another time, too. For Saul was afraid of him. He was jealous because the Lord had left him and was now with David. Finally, Saul banned him from his presence and appointed him commander of only a thousand men. But David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did. For the Lord was with him. And when Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. So it's getting worse now, isn't it? Saul's developed this hatred for David, hasn't he? He fears David. He becomes jealous of David. He becomes angry with David. And he hates David. Hate is such a powerful emotion, isn't it? And hate can be a very, very dangerous thing. Look at one of the great philosophers uh, says about hate. Um, he said, Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. In case you don't know who that is, that's Yoda. But we chuckle. Fear leads to the dark side. You know? He's not too far off, isn't he? It's not funny. It's true. I don't know why you're laughing. So I want to spend the rest of my time talking about hate this morning. I want to talk about the danger of hate. Hate is a very, very dangerous thing for us. We find out it's dangerous for Saul, and apparently it's a little dangerous for David, too, isn't it? Let's look at what uh, some different Scripture passages say about hate. In 1 John, it says this, If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we have not seen? In the same book, John says this, anyone who hates another Christian is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon says this, people with hate in their hearts may sound pleasant enough, but don't believe them. Though they pretend to be kind, their hearts are full of all kinds of evil. While their hatred may be concealed by trickery, It will finally come to light for all to see. Now, I want you to notice something here. According to these passages that we just read, hate can make us a liar, a murderer, and filled with evil. Hate is a dangerous thing, isn't it? For many in this world, hate is their motivation. We all have something that drives us in in, in our lives, something that, that stirs passion in us. And unfortunately, there are people in this world who have their passion stirred because of hate and because of things that may have happened in their lives or things that they perceive to be real. And they hate But understand this, that hate is often irrational. After all, what what did David do to deserve Saul's hate? Uh, David didn't do anything wrong, did he? In fact, you might say, he did everything right. But sometimes hate can be a totally irrational thing. You know... And I was thinking about this and the irrationality of hate. It's kind of like sports a little bit, isn't it? There's certain athletes that maybe, if you're a sports fan, that you just hate. But you don't know them, do you? Maybe you're like Saul. (laughs) Because you fear them. How many people are happy Tom Brady retired? Oh, I'm thrilled that Tom Brady retired. No, most of you aren't? Okay, fine. Some of you going, Who's Tom Brady, right? <laughs> know your audience, Greg. But sometimes we hate a player because we fear that. Oh, okay, I'll bring it closer to home. When he was wearing green and yellow, you hated Brett Favre, didn't you? And it was, an ira- it was an irrational hate, wasn't it? Agree with me. It was an irrational hate. Admit it. Confess your sin. We're in church. But you hated Brett Favre. Why? Honestly, because you feared him. And he was so stinking good. And oh, my gosh, he would pull these games out of his backside. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I thought we had him. And it's just this irrational fear. And the thing is, he didn't do anything wrong, did he? He kind of did everything right. It's a hard pill to swallow. But then all was forgiven when he put on the purple and gold. (laughs) Am I right? Am I right? This shows you how irrational the hate is, right? He changed his uniform, and now, oh, that Brett Favre. You know, there's a a movie called uh, Major League... Which is about the Cleveland Indians and the troubles of their of their team, and they go out and they, they uh, I think this is the second movie, but they go out and they sign a contract to this big power hitter, and then their announcer is Bob Uecker, and the guy gets in the batter's box and wiggles his backside. He says, "And there he is, Parkman in the batter's box, wiggling his backside," which just drives the women in Cleveland crazy, you know. Later in the season, he gets traded to the White Sox. And, he, and they're playing the White Sox, he says, and there he is, wiggling his backside, which makes the people in Cleveland sick. <laughs> Same guy. So I'm going to say something really outlandish this morning. After I've talk, talked about how dangerous hate is, we need to join the hate. And you're going, what? Join the hate. And if you're taking notes, I believe this is where you flip your, your page over to the other side. I have a question for you. Is it okay to hate? It depends on what you're hating, right? If we we need to hate on the right things, when I say join in on the hate, what I'm trying to say is we need to hate what God hates. And that's how I know that it's okay to hate because there are things that God hates. Look what it says in Proverbs. Solomon says this, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. That is why I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverted speech. Psalm 45 says this, You love what is right and hate what is wrong. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. One more. The psalmist writes this. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. So we see God does hate things. And what does God hate the most? Sin. Wow, good answer. God hates sin. Of course, if you're looking in your notes, you knew that's what I was going to say. So. But I give you credit anyhow. God hates sin. And I say it that way to try to emphasize just how much God hates sin. So often when we read the Old Testament and we read different stories in the Old Testament of things that happen, we go, wow, God, you were really harsh there. What is God trying to communicate to Israel and to us? That he hates sin. You know, in life, I'm a pretty sarcastic person. <laughs> <laughs> Let's close in prayer. No. <laughs> I am. And I love to tease and have fun with people. But, okay, you can stop laughing now. But the truth is, is that I would never do something or say something to someone that they really hate. That they really hate. I love my wife, and I tease her every once in a big while. But one thing I do not do to my wife, I never tickle her. Why? Because she hates it. So, I don't do that. When we hear that God hates sin, that should influence how we conduct ourselves, don't you think? I want to share with you a few reasons why God hates sin so much. And I I, I think this is going to help us maybe to understand why. He hates it. The first is this, because he is holy. God hates sin because he is holy. Holiness is the greatest of God's attributes. God is perfect. His holiness totally saturates its very being. He is perfect. He is free of any blemish. His holiness requires him to hate sin. Here's the second one. God hates sin because it separates us from him. In Isaiah chapter 59, it says this. It says, your iniquities, which is just another word for sin, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. Isaiah is telling us that our sin separates us from God and we can't see him because of our sin. And he doesn't hear us. It was sin that caused Adam and Eve to run away from God and hide in the garden. And realize this, friends, that sin always brings separation. The fact that God hates sin means that he hates being separated Separated from us. His love demands restoration with us. Think about that. He hates sin because it keeps us from him. Another reason. God hates sin because it blinds us to the truth. 1 John chapter 2, John says this, Anyone who hates a Christian brother or sister is living and walking in darkness. Such a person is lost, having been blinded by the darkness. So D- John is saying here that hate can blind us. Sin can blind us, friends. Sin has consequences, the consequences which the sinner often disregards. We often don't think about that. Now, God forgives, but there are consequences. We we, we read this just last week in Galatians. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. We talked about the positive of that. There's a negative to that too, isn't there? God hates sin for the same reason that light hates darkness. And that truth hates a lie. God wants us to have complete understanding of His grace and complete understanding of His love and, his, and his, his word. And God wants to understand all the things that He has for us. But sin only gets in the way of that. Here's the fourth reason God hates Sin. He hates sin because it will destroy us. God hates sin because it enslaves us and will eventually destroy us. Just as Saul's sin led to his destruction, spoiler alert, so our sin will lead us to destruction. Look at Saul's hatred for David caused him to try to kill him for crying out loud more than once there. And as we see, as time goes on, his hatred doesn't dissipate. Our sin will lead us to destruction. Look what it says in Proverbs. Godliness helps people all through life while the evil are destroyed by their wickedness. God is the source of life and he extends the gift of eternal life to all who believe. Friends, sin gets in the way of that gift. And that's one of of the reasons why God hates sin. We need to understand this, friends, as believers. Because sometimes we just play around with things that we really shouldn't. And we need to be real, friends. And we need to recognize you know, you go to a lot of churches today, I'll be honest. Pastors don't talk about sin anymore because that's not the popular thing to talk about. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't mean it goes away. It doesn't mean that God views it differently. Friends, as believers, we should hate sin just as God does. First Thessalonians, Paul says this, For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and night. That is not where we belong. That's not our stomping ground. We must recognize that God has set us apart as believers in Jesus Christ. Paul said, we are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. But we cannot become holy on our own. So God gives us his Holy Spirit to sanctify us and lead us. and Friends, we have his promise that he will help us in our struggle against sin. I won't ask a show of hands as to who struggles with sin because everybody's hand's going to go up. If your hand doesn't go up, then you struggle with pride, which is a sin. But God doesn't give us this information and leave us on our own. He gives us his spirit to help us with the fight As we sang this morning, Lord, I need you. Every hour, every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. God, I need you. This is why we need him so much. I'm going to leave you with these words from uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. He says this, he, being God, will keep you strong right up to the end. And He will keep you free from all blame on the great day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Amen. Friends, love God, hate sin, and bring Him glory. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word and Your truth. And I pray that as we pray this morning to seek You with all that we are, to change whatever we need to change in our lives, Lord. I pray that for myself first. Start with me. And I pray for my brothers and sisters today too. Help us to glorify you in our lives. Help us to love what you love and to hate what you hate. Teach us what it means. Teach us what it means to be a holy nation and a people that belong to God. We thank you for your truth, and we thank you for your love. We thank you for our time of fellowship that we're going to have today and with our meeting, and I pray now for the food that we're going to eat, and thank you for all the hands that prepared it, and just ask you to bless it and use it for, your, for our nourishment so that we may be strengthened to serve you better. So as we go this morning, we go in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Empowered by your Holy Spirit to guide, lead, and direct us, carrying the good news of the gospel so that all that we encounter may know we serve a risen Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 I'll see you downstairs.